welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey, everyone. Look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here at the Houston Cannon with Sarah Stogner, future Texas Railroad Commissioner and founder and attorney at Stogner Legal. Sarah, so I'm pumped to have you on because it's actually been a long time coming. And I feel like we probably should have done this a long time ago. So I'll take full blame. But, uh, (laughs) you know, it's long overdue. And we ran into each other at NAEP this week, which has been awesome. You were there. There was a bunch of great speakers. I saw you. We waved. And next thing you know, I was like, hey, let's hang out. Let's get on the podcast. And so first and foremost, how's NAEP been? I mean, you got in Tuesday, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's nice. So it's been, I came last year for the August one or whatever. And yeah. it was still kind of covid and sad. Yeah. But this year it's like $90 oil. People are feeling good. You know, I always gauge it by like, <laughs> how far does the bar go at the Hilton? And it was out to the front doors last night. So was I it? think that Nape is a success this year. We're back, at least you know, for a few years. I think it's sad though. I don't know if you saw like the Digital Wildcatter guys. They said that they'd submitted a proposal to be media. I saw Colin post that on Twitter. Yeah. And so, yeah, apparently there's been a bunch of people that have tried and they blew them off. I mean, what do you, I mean, I don't know. What's the yeah, deal? I think it's, they're still very much old school. And, yeah. you know, I think that those dinosaur type tactics are dying, yeah. you know, and people want something different. Yeah. And so it'll be interesting to see. I think everyone was hungry for some in-person interaction. Yeah. But over the next couple of years, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how that actually evolves. Yeah. No, it's fascinating because expos and stuff like this and conferences, a lot of times it helps bring people together. And like for a long time, OTC was always the one. And, you know, people came from all over the world. A lot of big operators were here and, you know, then NAPE came along and I don't know, NAPE's probably been around for a long time, but I feel like it's shifted and now NAPE is like the conference to go to. And then on top of that, you get, you know, the EFT crowd coming to NAPE, which brings a whole nother level of excitement. Yeah. And it's great. And so I'm in Oilfield Services and it's not like an AEDE event or an SPE event, but it's still, there's so many people and the networking abilities are, are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And going back to conferences, they're slowly dying out and like the attendance numbers, even pre-COVID were declining. And so it's like, how do you bring a new energy and create an experience? Because that's what ultimately people want. It's like, okay, cool. It brings, you know, it's an excuse for everyone to come in from all over and party, right? which is great. But you also like the event itself has to generate revenue and make money and because it's a business. Right. So yeah, to create an experience and then to like shut down and not whether it's the digital wildcatters or whoever, but people that are ultimately making waves in the space, leverage that and maybe ask their idea like, hey, how can we make this better? Because you obviously have a large following, built a community. 
you know, come together. And so whether it was they were busy trying to get everything prepared or whatever, who knows? But it's unfortunate. But I think, you know, in time, it's going to, you know, time will tell that, hey, start embracing people that reach out that have a large community. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, it's cool. We're here and it's all good. Speaking of EFT, for anyone who's out there who's not aware, which some are, some aren't, but it stands for Energy Fintwit, and it's a great community. So I personally don't partake too much in the banter on Twitter with it, but I always have my popcorn ready on the, <laughs> on the sidelines, whether it's memes. And, and, you know, there's actually a lot of good information being relayed and just the, the you know, kind of the shit talking back and forth. <laughs> it's great. And so what's your take on Energy Fintwit? Because like when I saw you, it was something that we started talking about. Is that something that you've been like watching or part of or like what's your involvement with energy into it <laughs> sorry just that pop that was a good yeah it is it's like oh let me get the popcorn man this yeah. is about to be entertaining yeah yeah i guess i was probably a little bit later to the game i got really active on it i think like a lot of people during covid where yeah. you're just kind of sitting at home <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no it's amazing right i mean so you've got the anonymous accounts which whatever when your name's not associated you can say whatever you want yeah. right you'd feel like there's no repercussions which i feel like you should be able to anyways Right. But, well, but I do. Cares. And so, right, I do now. And I made that really conscious decision a few years ago to just be 100% authentically me yeah. and then let people decide if they wanted to do business or have a relationship with me, whatever. Yeah. And so I do think that, especially for those of us that are not anonymous, that use our real names on Twitter, it's funny, though. Like, I was in the airport a few months ago with Petra, who's President Petra, right? And yes. she's a badass. She's super cool. I met her at Oil and Gatsby. Awesome chick. Yeah. Sure. And so we're like in the Midland airport headed to New Orleans for a couple of days. And this dude's like, Sarah? <laughs> Petra? And we're like, yeah. Uh, and he's like, I'm so-and-so. You know, like he outed himself on oh, wow. as an Anon. Yeah. We're like, oh, dude, it's so good to see you. Yeah. Which, you know what I mean? It's funny. And I think that the more we go, the more people realize that there is so much value and just putting yourself out there because even if they're not commenting and liking for those vanity metrics, people are yeah. watching. Yeah. And then they, you know, you gain respect because people realize you know what you're talking about. Yeah. No, it is. And it's intimidating not only for people to just post because I've had people reach out, and especially during COVID when they're sitting there staring at their screens watching oil completely plummet. <laughs> we're like, I want to just post stuff. And I had several people reach out because during COVID, I was like, hey, if anyone wants to reach out and just, you know, have a conversation around energy or whatever, like obviously not too many people are working and we're all trying to figure out what the future looks like. Let's have a conversation and, you know, whatever, let's let's network. And so many people through COVID were like, OK, I'm going to do it. I'm, I'm going to post you know, on LinkedIn. And, and they did it. And then they realized it's not that scary. And if you have a little bit of thick skin and you can handle some people talking a little bit of mess, then yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Right. And so, no, I think for our industry, especially having people not afraid to speak their minds and, you know, challenge the narrative and, you know, take the headlines and debunk them. Right, <laughs> you right. know, it's like, this isn't actually what's happening from right. the people that are inside the industry, not just a bunch of, you know, journalists or whatever the case may be. But no, Energy Finto, it's hilarious. It's a great group. I was able to meet, you know, a couple of folks on Tuesday that are involved. And I don't know a lot of the non accounts, you know what I mean? But it's just great. At the end of the day, it's entertaining and I love it. So you came in, you were in Midland before you came in? Like, because you reside in Midland, right? Yeah, so I kind of split my time between Ward County, right west of Midland, okay. and Houston. Mm. But you're originally from Louisiana, right? Or so I grew up in Florida, California, Alabama. Went okay, to let's... undergrad at LSU and law school, and okay, then moved out down. here in 17. Gotcha. Okay, there's a lot, I'm sure, that happened. And young Sarah is probably interesting, Sarah. So let's go back a little further. So where were you born? I was born in Huntsville, Alabama. 
Alabama. And then, okay, so are your parents or dad oil field or? No, so my dad's an aerospace engineer. Okay. So I'm basically a civilian army brat. So he worked for Pratt & Whitney. Gotcha. We lived in South Florida, then Southern California. And then my parents got divorced. My mom moved back to Alabama where she was from. Okay. Went to high school there. Thought I wanted to be a biomedical engineer. Okay. Even though I don't know anyone that's like needs prosthetics as a kid. <laughs> I just thought like it was the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And so took calculus my senior year of high school, had already applied to like Washington University, Tulane, Miami, some good engineering programs. And then because I come from a family of engineers. Right. And then I was like, yeah, this calculus stuff kind of sucks. And (laughs) I really liked my AP economics class. And at that point, it was a little bit too late to try to like go to a more prestigious school for a different field, if that makes sense. And so LSU actually sent me a letter in the mail and they were like, hey, we've got this thing called spring testing where you come your last semester of high school. And then with my AP credits and then spring testing, I got a little bit of a scholarship and I was able to graduate undergrad in three years. Wow. So growing up, going through high school, moving around a little bit, were you always very studious or were you just naturally? I feel like you are the type of person who doesn't have to try very hard and can get straight A's. Am I... Right? Kind of? Kind of, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what did you do? Like, were you big into studying and like... I was a nerd. I was totally a nerd. I mean, I was the kid that sat at the front of the class and raised my hand and knew the answers and was like, oh my God. But I was also... Was it for the clout or was it because you really enjoyed it? Because some people do it because it's like, look at me. No, it wasn't that at all. It was very much just like, I love learning. Cool. That's great. And I like knowing the answer too, right? I mean, but I was a nerd. We moved so much that I was never... I was always the new kid. Uh, And I was always weird and awkward. And so I think I got really good and maybe a little bit thicker skin as a kid. Sure. Never really fitting in and just being like, but I have these questions. And as I got older, I started realizing that I had really good questions. And when people were like, that's a stupid question or you don't understand, it wasn't that I didn't understand. It was usually that they didn't understand. Right. And I mean, that's still true today, right? Yeah. Like I start criticizing something and I was like, I mean, you must not understand mud weight, little lady. I'm like, well, no, I actually do. And so let's talk about it. Right. Right. And yeah. that's the, yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned that. And I feel like, you know, growing up, my dad always hated being questioned. And what I'm realizing as I'm older is kind of along the lines of what you're discussing is people hate being questioned if they don't understand the topic at hand. Right. But if you're confident in your ability to deliver and articulate whatever it is that you think you know, then people ask a question, then you just easily answer it. But as soon as someone asks a question and then they get defensive or it's like, oh, you don't know what you're talking about. It's like, you're right. Like, I think it's so it's having that level of self-awareness. And then two, most of the time in school, people who ask the questions, everyone else around is like, oh, thank goodness that person asked a question because I wanted to ask a question, <laughs> but I'm embarrassed. And so you may have been the one to like help, you know, educate everyone else by your dumb questions, right? Like, it's good. I was definitely that one. I was also the one that it's eight o'clock at night and everyone's ready to go home. And I'm like, I have one more question. (laughs) You told me nuts. (laughs) I I have learned that if I have another question, I wait until the program's over and I go up. That reminds me, so when I was in graduate school, we were on Zoom. So everyone has like mass Zoom fatigue, right? right. It's like online learning, please. <laughs> Which, you know, the University of Colorado, Denver Business School, big shout out to them. They did a fantastic job. But there are students who, when you're ready to like take a break from Zoom, just keep asking questions. And, you know, thankfully you can take the video off, you can go do your thing and pretend like you're there, but you're not. 
in real class yeah. setting, yeah, you can't run or hide. You can't turn video off because you're there. And it's like, God, Sarah, shut up. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it's good. Like, you always got to stay curious. And you, you said you love learning. And yeah. so I think that's partially probably why you've been successful. And now you're in the position to be doing what you're doing, which I want to talk about. But before I forget, I do have to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, which is Technip FMC. Their integrated iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the well-pad operations. Technip FMC continues to push the limits in order to achieve full-frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or just go on their website or check them out on LinkedIn. And if you're still lost, hit me up. I can get you connected to the right people. Also, for all the OGGN supporters out there and anyone who's interested in monthly happy hours, thank goodness here in Houston, things have opened up and we're doing our monthly happy hours. So come check out OGGN.com or follow us on LinkedIn and get all the alerts and notifications about all the events we're doing. And then we do them here at the Canon. We partner with folks like Carbock Brewing Company, Corva, who arguably is leading the way in you know oil field digitalization and technology. Super great company. Ryan Dawson, CEO, is awesome. So big shout out to Corva. You know, someone who's in the upstream drilling space, I can appreciate what Corva has done back in the day as a roughneck looking at Payson and all these. Payson's <laughs> evolved and a lot of them have evolved, but Corva really took it to the next level. And yeah, again, they do great. Love Corva, all the things about them. Anyway, so before we keep going down the path of Sarah, because that was really interesting, but I am curious because I think I, w- I want to dive a little deeper. And I'm curious, what core belief have you changed your mind on over the last couple of years? And that can be whether it's personal, business, anything that comes to mind. Has there been any like sort of shifts in, yes. your, in your mindset? Okay, let's hear about it. 100% authenticity. I like it. And, you know, I think, I'm sure men get this too, but as a woman, we are told there is a societal expectation to be sweet or to be a little bit meeker or Mm. to whatever. And I've been told most of my life, you're just a little too much. And I'm like, no, I'm not too much. You're not enough. Nice. I like that. And Hashtag. (laughs) Right? But that's been a more recent experience. My parents always told me, you can do anything you want to be, whatever, yada, yada. But- Yeah, I think if we all just stopped lying Mm. to ourselves and to others about our expectations, our desires, our goals, everything would be better. Right. So let's stick on that because I think that's extremely important. And with social media, and again, I don't blame social media for anything. It's like, let's start taking some accountability. Okay. It's like, I always reference whether it's social media or anything else. It's like a doctor's scalpel can either kill you or it can save your life. It depends on how you use it, right? So going back to sort of, oh, social media has pe- made people, you know, insecure and and everyone. Well, again, accountability, which ties into authenticity. People are always trying to, you know, they're trying to fabricate this life, show the highlight reel to keep up with whatever else that they're seeing on Instagram. But going back to the authenticity part, and I think, you know, for you as a female within the oil and gas space, which again, you're a minority in oil and gas, And so I would imagine there's been some challenges that have come along with that. But what made you realize, okay, I'm just going to stop BSing and I'm going to just be real and like love it or hate it. Here's who I am. And I'm just going to be me. Like what made you kind of realize that? I think it was twofold. One is that it's exhausting when you're having to filter yourself, right? Yeah, good point. And especially if you're you know, going and doing and meeting people, like trying to be 
like, should I say this? How should, you know, what, what should I wear? What should I, who cares? Like just be you. And so when I really started having success of people finding me and being like, Hey, I need help on my master service agreements, or I've got an insurance coverage issue. Will you be my lawyer? I realized that people were seeking me out because of me being on LinkedIn and actually sharing who I was and they found me and sought me out. And so I think when I realized, I don't know, I guess about four or five years ago that social media was going to change the way all professionals did business Yeah, and that, you know, back in the day, even 30 or 40 years ago, you lived in a town, there was a handful of lawyers that provided legal services locally, the doctor, like, right? Like, and then yeah. you had so kind of mediocre doctors and kind of mediocre lawyers and kind of mediocre accountants. And you needed those people because you needed those services. Yeah. But what technology and social media has done, right, is you don't have to be in the same town. And so I decided I wanted to practice a very niche area of law. I wanted to be the very best at it. And I wanted to let people know what I was doing so that I didn't have to go find clients. The clients came and found me. Boom. Yeah. And that's where it's been interesting with regards to social media is you got to be where the attention is. And the cool thing about it is it's so underpriced. Aside from your time, yeah, yeah, you don't need to spend a ton of money. Now, granted, some people do with whether it's marketing, this and that and the other. But social media and the internet has single-handedly changed the game with business to business, you know, industries business to consumers. And for someone like yourself, who's leveraged that, I think it's amazing and people can learn something from there. So with that being said, what have you noticed? So you said by being authentic, you've noticed it's like, okay, people, because ultimately what I think too, is when people are authentic, it allows people to be obviously themselves, but more relatable to the consumer or the people that are somewhat, you know, following or whatever, because people like to do business and associate with people who they think they can relate to. But if you're constantly posting stuff that like, whatever, I'm just use like, I'll elaborate, like you're in a jet and then you're hanging out and you're, you know, at the gallery of buying all this stuff and it's just like all this glory. Well, then no one really thinks that they can identify with you. So it's like, well, why would I even try and reach out or, you know, message her on LinkedIn? Because I'm so many levels below her. But at the end of the day, it's like, no, we all are essentially we, you know, we put our pants on the same way. And if I can relate to you and you can relate to me, well, then, hey, like, let's whether it's do business or hang out, grab coffee. But that's how you expand your network and build a trust within your community. And I think it's amazing. And, you know, you've started on I see you started, but you, now you're doing TikTok and you're like really just documenting your journey. But while also educating and, you know, portraying yourself as an expert in your field, I mean, I don't know why everyone who's in business, which arguably everyone is in business to some degree, is not documenting and trying to get out there even more. But, you know, what would you say for someone who's interested in trying to get out there and be a little more authentic and are kind of scared to post on social media? Like, what's your advice for, or let's get a little more narrow, for ladies out there who are trying to do it? Because I think there's still so much opportunity for not only ladies, but everybody. Yeah. I think you just start doing it. And you learn and you get better. And I think I read, there's a couple books. Sally Hogshead has a couple of books. I'm blanking right now on the names. But one of them, the essence of the book is not that it's, yes, we each have our own you know, kind of personality. You can take personality quizzes, right? And you mm-hmm. can, I'm an ENTP, right? You can like find out Enneagram 7, 8, right? Like you can find those out. Yeah. Hers is, oh, the art of fascination is what it's called. Interesting. Okay. And it's art all, of fascination. Yeah. Okay. It's all about understanding not how you perceive yourself or how you are, but how other people perceive you. 
Mm-hmm. And embracing that 100% and just being you. Right. And so I think that another book that I read was Untamed by Glennon Doyle that ah, was really inspiring I've to heard me. that's good, yeah. And you just start doing it. And look, I don't know if I told you this the other day. My philosophy is that social media is a bit of a pyramid scheme. Mm-hmm. And so I was way late to the Instagram game, right? I didn't really start posting on Instagram until 18 or 19. And so I've got 2,000 followers. No one really cares about me on Instagram, right? Sure. Like I'm another mom yeah. on Instagram. <laughs> Whereas on TikTok, which was right two years ago, all teenagers dancing is now a lot of professionals sharing information and knowledge. And yeah. so I think that... In our lifetime specifically, there's been a really big shift from if you've got a good idea, you need to keep it close to the chest and hoard it because someone's going to steal it. That was a viable concern 50 years ago because we didn't have the dissemination of information. And you could, it would get in the wrong hands and somebody with a lot more money, power and access could take it and run with it. Now, I think we're the exact opposite. I think if you've got an idea and you're not out there just blasting it to everyone and putting it into the universe for the people that have the will and the ability to help you. Yeah. Like attracts like, energies attract energy. And if you're not putting your energy out there, it's like a crapshoot of what energy is coming towards me. Mm. But when you're loudly and proudly portraying your energy, you will mesh and vibe with other people at the same energy levels with the same wills, the same goals. And magic happens, man. I mean, like this yeah. run for railroad commission, right? Like yeah. I had no political aspirations. Yeah. And then when I started, I didn't really think I had a shot, right? It was like, okay, I'll put 3700 bucks in just to be able to get my name out there, to be able to get the interviews, to be able to talk about stuff that I really firmly believe we need to do to save this industry. Right. And then I had a 150-foot geyser spring up in the backyard <laughs> that was a visual representation of everything that's been happening subsurface. And finally, when you've got the visual, people are like, wow, what is that? I mean, I had people arguing with me on TikTok that it wasn't salt, it was ice, right? And I'm like, it's not ice, guys. I'm here. It's 75 (laughs) degrees. Yeah. (laughs) Trust me. But, you know, so it's kind of divine intervention on some of these things. And now it's like, wow, we've actually got a shot. Wow. You know? That is so cool. So I'm curious, and I want to go down... You're running here in a sec, but I'm curious, like, because you are fun and you like to get out there and, you know, take all and you're very energetic. What would be the ideal Friday night? If you had all the money in the world, you could spend it with whoever you wanted to and you could say teleport to anywhere in the world. Like what would Sarah Stogner do on a Friday night, assuming you had anything in the world you could do? Yeah, I think it depends, right? So what do I love doing? I love the water. I love the beach. I love fishing. I love scuba diving. So if it's a Friday night and it's warm, probably my first stop would be the big island of Hawaii to go dive with manta rays again at night with the phytoplankton. It's pretty badass. Alive music. I freaking love music. So, you know, a really good concert. If it's been a long week and it's cold out, probably getting in my sweats and sitting by the fireplace. Yeah. You know? So it just depends. But yeah, I am a go, 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 go. I yeah. do like going. Right. There's no wrong answer. I love it. So if anyone's going to Hawaii and wants to take Sarah, she's totally down. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so let's talk about your running. So you kind of started talking about how you got into it. But so tell everyone. Okay. So March 1st, right, is the primaries. So yep. early voting starts February 14th. February 14th, which is Valentine's Day. Wow. Okay. And that's Monday. We're recording this February 10th, and I'm going to try and get this out hopefully by Valentine's Day. But 
Either way, so Valentine's Day is early voting and March 1st. Okay, so then let's back up. How did you get into Like you said, you didn't really have any political aspirations, but here you are running. And I mean, arguably, you've got a pretty solid shot. How did that all evolve? I realized when the well came unplugged on the ranch and the operator didn't step up and do the right thing and the regulators lawyered up against the landowner a week into the incident where they literally, the state of Texas, told a landowner, do not contact our people. All communications need to come through your lawyer to our lawyer. Hmm. Like that's what happens in litigation between private entities. The state should not be lawyering up against landowners. And then- Why? I mean, because they're charged with protecting landowners. Right. Like the state, you're not a criminal. Like the only time a state lawyer's up against you is when you've committed a crime. Right. Okay. And so the fact that I had known for a while that operators had a very heavy hand in decisions at the Railroad Commission. And I'm an oil and gas lawyer and I represented great clients. And for the most part, I think operators are the ones with the technical know-how and they should be dictating how we explore for and produce minerals because the bureaucrats and the lawyers and the politicians don't understand. Right. But you have to have accountability. And when the regulators know that there's contamination of groundwater or there's you know bad things happening that endanger people's lives and they don't intervene and enforce the rules, that's not okay. And I realized you know, six months, I guess, into this ordeal that, fuck, the only way we're going to get anything done is to change who's in charge. Yeah. And so let's go run. Yeah. No kidding. So can you explain to folks, I'm sure anyone who's in the upstream or oil and gas has heard the term railroad commission or, you know, as a railroad commissioner, you know, who that individual might be, but what is the Railroad Commission and what exactly is its purpose within the state of Texas? Yeah, so it started, it's a really interesting history, actually. It started cool. in the late 1800s. Okay. There was a governor's race and the governor who was up for election kept saying that the railroads were railroading people, right? Like they came in, monopoly, they were doing whatever they wanted. They were really mistreating people. It was ridiculous rates. It was just, you know, abuse of capitalism, basically. Okay. So the governor said, I'm going to appoint, or I don't want to appoint. I think originally he appointed, I don't remember the details, but basically it was like, I don't want another gubernatorial appointment of a bureaucracy. We need to elect a commission to help make sure that the people have a voice and that the people don't you know, get mistreated by the railroads. Okay. And then once oil and gas started and really took off spindle top, they merged all those together. And the original railroad commission is actually what OPEC is modeled after, believe oh, it or wow. not. And so, interesting. yeah, they were the ones that were like, no, you can't drill a well right there. And yes, we need spacing requirements. And let's actually figure out what your producible quantities are going to be from this lease and all that. Hmm. And as of 05, I think they no longer have any jurisdiction over railroads, <laughs> but they didn't change the name. And I actually asked oh. Christy Craddock three or four years ago at a Women's Energy Network event in Midland why they didn't change the name. And she told me it was because they didn't want to waste the taxpayer dollars. It was going to cost a couple million dollars to change all the literature and the logos and, mm. you know. And at the time, I was like, yeah, okay, that seems okay. <laughs> well, now I have since seen them waste millions of taxpayer dollars. And I'm like, no, that's not true. They enjoy the power that comes with the common Texan not understanding what they do and not realizing how important this election is. No kidding. And so, you know. 
Wayne Christian, the incumbent that I'm running against, is a career politician. He is a financial planner, a Grammy award-winning gospel singer, Ooh. lovely man, has no oil and gas experience and has no clue. Christy Craddock, her dad's Tom Craddock. He is a lifelong politician. He's a drilling mud sales guy from Midland. He's been in the nice. house since he was 25. Okay. She went to law school. She graduated. She started working at a lobbying firm. He gave her $500,000 from his campaign to start her first campaign. Ten years ago, she ran and won on the Craddock name, and she's been in power ever since. Jim Wright is the latest addition. He took out Ryan Sitton in a very contentious primary where you know Jim Wright's a saltwater disposal guy who had ongoing violations and decided to run for railroad commissioner. And then Ryan had a smear campaign against him where someone said that he was having an affair. And like they actually, this is insane. Someone made a website that looked like it was a real news source. <laughs> what? And found a guy. It was actually a couple, a mixed race couple, okay. who do porn in California. And the guy kind of looked like Ryan. And they do like... No way. You ready for this? They do slave kink porn. Okay. So they claimed that Ryan was having an affair and put a picture of him that what? was not him. That was this porn couple from California. What? He complains. Oh this is real. This is great. He just filed a lawsuit on this not too long ago against, and I think, you know, I just, let me say, I suspect that when it's all said and done, yeah. there's going to be money ties back to the Craddock Institution because they didn't like what he did in his Flair report because there was huge industry pressure. It is the corruptest. And the more I learn and the deeper I get in, the more I'm like, it's bad. It appears so, and this is just through observation, the higher up you go in any organization or institution or anything, there's always a degree of corruption. I mean, we're I think we're built on <laughs> somewhat of corruption. Yeah, people right? were greedy. and Right. Yeah. So obviously, this gentleman was not in the porn industry. No, Ryan Sitton was a railroad commissioner. Right. Are we sure? Yes. Okay. Yes. Just want to make sure. Because, I mean, you never know. <laughs> no now. judgment. Right. If he had a side hustle. Hey. But he did not. And he was not cheating on his wife. <laughs> okay. And this fake news thing. <laughs> this is so crazy. Oh, this is good. This is the more we need to know, right? Right. This is, this is we're trying to lay, lay it all out there so that people can and have enough information to make the right decision March 1st. Yeah. This is good. Yeah. But no, like, and add insult to injury, right? Tom <laughs> Craddock, he is the state rep in... Midland County and Crane County. Okay. Ashley's Ranch is half in Crane County. He actually owns not operating working interests in some of the wells on her property. And he has ignored us completely. Our regulator has ignored us. The Railroad Commission's now lawyered up and ignoring us. Why do you think that? Because I think he's corrupt and I think he's taking money or he's getting paid. I mean, that family has made hundreds of millions of dollars in oil and gas while regulating oil and gas. Wow. It would be like... Wall Street electing the SEC and then not even calling it the SEC because, you know, that actually tells people what they do. Yeah. It would be like Wall Street electing the SEC and calling it like the Banana Commission. Hmm. Yeah. No, I get what you're saying. So, and you're kind of alluding to it, but what do you think the biggest challenge is right now within the Railroad Commission? And what are you hoping to, as Railroad Commissioner, sort of overhaul or change or, or improve yeah because you know a lot of people are like oh all of a sudden someone comes in and flips its head upside down like you know yeah, there, no. there's a right way of making positive change yeah. right no look i think we're 99 of the way there with regulations like i don't think we need all these new regulations i think we just need people we need transparency 
We need fairness so that every operator has to follow the rules and the big guys don't get to make million dollar campaign contributions and skirt the rules. Mm. And we need equal access for all stakeholders, landowners, you know, average citizens, anyone who is impacted by operations should have right and an access to the regulators and yeah. to help. And then we just need to enforce the rules that are on the books and punish the people who don't follow the rules. But, you know, perfect example, since the late 1990s, they've had a draft rule on what is a reportable spill for saltwater produced water. We still do not have final rules hmm. in Texas for what is a reportable spill for produced water. And the guidance documents, like the informal guidance documents, are different. If you're in West Texas, it's 250 barrels. And if you're in East Texas, or, you know, you're outside of Austin, it's 25 or 50, something like that. Yeah. So like, well... Why? Because in West Texas, in the Sandhills, where the ranch that I live on is, we've got our freshwater aquifer 50 feet below, and it's just sand. It's like when you go to the beach and you pour sand in your sandcastle. Like, yeah. the water goes straight down. So why can you spill more salty brine out there because no one's looking? Because it's West Texas. Because, you know, <laughs> it's worth $1,200 an acre and no one cares. I mean, that's what's been happening, right? Yeah. Operators destroy the land. When a landowner complains, they come and they buy them up at three, four, five, even 10 times fair market value because $10,000 an acre is still cheaper than cleaning up your mess. And that's not okay. Wow. No, that's crazy. So so what will I do? Nothing. I'm one of three people, right? Like sure. I, I won't have any power to really change, but I'll be TikTok living our hearings. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. There, there you go. That's you know, one way to do it. Expose. I'll just be transparent. Yeah. So are there certain, you know, obviously I don't want to name names, but are there certain operators that are doing the right thing? Are there more operators that do the right thing, not do the right thing? Is it a good mix? I mean, what's your observation? I think most operators try to do the right thing. Yeah. I really do. And I think as an industry, we've been really bad at touting what we do. I mean, yeah. I used to really love Alex Epstein and his message because I believe in it. Yeah. What I've now learned over the, you know, no again, through this like last nine month process is he blindly endorsed Wayne Christian. I'm like, well, why did he endorse Wayne Christian? Probably because he got some money Yeah. because he's now part of that institution. So, and excuse my ignorance, yeah. but who is that? Yeah. Alex. Well, no, I know Alex Epstein, but who's the gentleman Christian? Oh, or? Wayne. So Wayne is the incumbent that Wayne. I'm running against. Ah, yeah. gotcha. Okay. And now he's endorsing him. Yes. Okay. I used to talk to Alex, like we'd message each other on LinkedIn and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, when all this was happening, he was in the middle of writing his latest book that's about to release. Yeah, I saw that. And I was like, hey, I'm sure you're busy, but I'd like for, to have some time to chat with you. And he was like, yeah, no problem. Let me get this book finished. Now the book's finished. I haven't heard. No time. And, hmm. and I think it's, I get it, right? It's scary. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I decided to do this and, like, actually start speaking the truth. It's really scary. I'm sure. But I have every day a handful of new people every day reaching out. Like, we support you. You're doing the right thing. Feeding me intel mm. and, you know, giving me information about the bad stuff that's happening because wow. they're aggravated and there are so many good people out there. But, you know, I get it. When you've got a family to support and this is your livelihood, it's terrifying. Like, of course. Right? Yeah. And interestingly so i had posted you know like we saw each other i posted on linkedin they were like oh yeah go sarah and then of course there's some people like hey you know do your research you know make sure this and that and then because i have quite a few contacts in west texas and i jumped on the phone we're talking and yeah i saw you were sarah and 
Yeah, we saw on TikTok and, you know, that video that you'd showed me where you were on the lease and there was a gentleman who proceeded to, you know, try to forcefully get you off location. And it appears that there are still folks out there that would argue that you're trying to do things that are, for lack of words, pissing people off. Like, what do you say to the folks that think like, no, Sarah's this or that? Or essentially, how do you handle the haters that perhaps just misunderstand what you're trying to do. Yeah, look, I get it, right? You see an angry woman come up on location and start yelling (laughs) about fluids out of containment. And the first reaction is, she's a crazy liberal. She's an environmentalist. She's a Karen. She's an AOC. Green New Deal. You know, I'm like, no, guys, I am the anti-Green New Deal. I am. There is no such thing as green energy, Mm. right? Everything has costs. Everything takes rare earth minerals, right? Like, what are we going to do with these windmill blades when they're out of commission, right? Like, everything has costs. Right. But we can't delude ourselves into thinking that the future is not coming. And they are ramming this down our throats, whether we like it or not. ESG is here to stay, right? Like alternatives are here to stay. So let's do it responsibly. But we can't continue to say no, like we don't like this. This isn't happening. Because for so long, we've known people need hydrocarbons. And we had the ability to basically give them the middle finger and be like, what are you going to do about it? Right. Not, we not had the drive leverage. your car. We had yeah. the leverage. Yeah. And now we still have the leverage. And trust me, right? Oil starts going above 100 something dollars a barrel and gas starts going and everyone's going to be jumping and screaming. And Joe Biden's asking OPEC to increase production oh. while at the same time shutting in pipelines. Jesus F Christ, right? Like yeah. this is insanity. So yes, and average people, you come across some of my content, you don't know who I am, you're lazy, you don't know the history. Yeah. I say things out of context where people don't know and we are being bombarded by the left. Yeah. That I get it. My probably if I didn't know who I was and I saw some of my stuff I'd be like, "Who is this bitch? Get the fuck out of here." You know what I mean? Yeah. But once you encourage people, like, "Hey, I'm not anti-industry. I love this industry. I am the oil and gas unicorn. This has been like my brand for years, yes, right? Like yeah. I love this." But we have to do it the right way. And then once people understand what my motivations are and that I really do want to protect this industry. I've been using the analogy lately of kind of like the mafia of like, "Let's keep it in the family." <laughs> we don't need outsiders, right? We yeah. just need me to come in and get some of the soldiers back in line. Right. Because they've deviated in their ways and these aren't okay. <laughs> and so maybe there's going to be a couple public executions of bad actors. Maybe. But then don't do the wrong thing and right. step up. And we've got to recognize that we're not perfect. We've got to recognize, like, we've got to get our water management problem under control. What are we going to do with 15 to 20 million barrels of water a day? We shouldn't be using fresh water to frack. We shouldn't be using fresh water for anything in oil and gas, right? Like, we have the capability to filter it to what we need. And then eventually, we'll have the, I think, the ability to get water and like, let's build a pipeline and ship it back to Lake Mead. Like we've got all of this water, we just need to manage it. And the new technology and like the data guys, right? Like that are trying, like, like, look, we've got analytics. We can know what's happening down hole. We can fix, we can see blowouts, we can prevent them. Why are guys still dying on pulling units? Because they're cutting corners and the guys out in the field who are the heart and soul of our industry 
are trying to do the right thing. They show up for work every day and then their bosses let them bathe in radioactive. They're getting sprayed with radioactive water. That is not okay. And a lot of them, when you explain like, this is what's actually happening. They're like, holy cow, I I had no clue. Yeah. Right. But yeah, I love the industry, but you got to be a little bit clickbaity. Yeah. I can't be like, hi, I'm Sarah. I love this industry. We just need to clean up our act. Nobody watches that. Right. I agree. And so you bring up some like extremely good points. And one that I wanted to, because I've been in the, you know, the upstream oral field service side since 2004. And like, there's been a lot of evolution and, you know, drilling completion technology, obviously on the production side too. But a lot of what drives our industry is economics. What's the cheapest, right? And people, again, you know, look at Macondo, a lot of things like arguably a lot of the things are human error driven by how can we cut corners? And I'm speaking very generally. And obviously I'm not going to call anybody out, but at the end of the day, and it's getting harder and harder to maximize margin because those margins are getting slim and the luxury services where, you know, services could charge anything they wanted. What was this? Like, it's so volatile and investors are finally putting their foot down and say, unless you return, you know, and obviously the shale revolution had a lot to do with that. But I say that to say, I'm sure a lot of people out there are saying, yeah, we hear you, Sarah, but if we try and do everything you're saying, we're going to, you know, cost ourselves out of work and we won't be able to afford to make all these, like you say, don't ever use fresh water. There's a cost associated with doing that. And do you cost yourself out to where you can't operate? Like, how do you suppose people respond in that sort of way? Because they're sure. driven, like, from the top down, get your cost down, get your cost down, beat down the service companies. We need to maximize margin because our investors are mad because we haven't generated yeah. any free gas flow over, you know, six years. Yeah. How do you suppose that sort of weaves into well, what you're saying? So I think it's the very heart of it is we have to enforce the regulations. And so when I guarantee you, no one can make money, right, if only some people have to follow the rules. Right. But once it's an even playing field, sure, yeah, then yeah. that's where technology thrives because you now avoid spills. You know, like when your tanks report back that, hey, we've got an issue here, this is clogged or this pressure is weird, someone can actually go out and a pumper can look and spot and figure out, well, do I have a clogged flow line or, you know, is my gauge broken or what's at, and you prevent incidents. But if no one gives a shit, if you spill salt water, why would you ever do that? Yeah. So let's actually enforce the rules. And then I think naturally the technology will actually be needed. But yeah, when it's a free for all and no one cares that you've got crude sitting in your cellar for 20 years. Right. Yeah, you're right. Like no one can make money at that. And unfortunately, and I try to tell my service company clients, you know, I'm a risk allocation lawyer. And my best advice is don't sign a contract that you don't understand. Yeah. You're better off without a contract, right? But they're like, oh, nobody will give me the work without the MSA. I'm like, okay, well, is that $100,000 worth of work worth risking your entire business? Because if something goes wrong in this business, you know, it's tens, hundreds of millions of dollars. And if your contracts, you're assuming all of that risk. You're out of business. Right. So it shouldn't be bet the business every time to try to get a little bit of work. And that's what's so fundamentally frustrating to me and why I started my own law firm a couple of years ago is because I was like, guys, we've lost the forest for the trees here, right? What started out 60 years ago on I take my people and property, you take your people and property and our traditional risk 
shifting scheme in mm-hmm. the energy industry. It was because we didn't understand what was happening. We couldn't prove what had happened down hole, right? Like, okay, there's a kick. We didn't identify it quick enough, or there's a problem with the casing, or there's a problem with the cement. There's probably the mud's not properly. There's probably four or five different things yeah. from four or five different entities that contributed. And the entire intent was to avoid fighting amongst yourselves to try to figure it out. It was just like, I take my people in property. I can go get insurance for that. And everyone knows what the risk is. Well, over the years, that's been bastardized because smart lawyers carve out everything. And now we're really good with language and we get something and we figure it out. And then there's another court case that takes 10 years and however many millions of dollars to litigate. And then the Supreme Court comes out with something. And then we got to go and change our contract language. Then the insurance companies change. They're like, oh, I mean, we said we were going to cover you. We didn't mean we were going to cover you for that. We got to change that wording. (laughs) And now it's and the only people that benefit are the lawyers. Right. And it's I think all of this from the automated drilling to the smart contracts, right? Like, why aren't we putting mineral title into immutable ledger? Yeah. And, right, I think Data Gumbo is somewhere around here, yeah, right? Yeah, like, that- so it's like all these guys that I've been talking to for years and going to SPE tech conferences and they've got all these great ideas. And I'm like, yeah, man, this is amazing. We can do. And then I'm like, why aren't you guys getting traction? Well, why would they? Because they don't have to follow the rules. They can do whatever the hell they want. At the end of the day, who has the cheapest rig? And yeah, they claim that they care about safety, but they don't really care about safety. They care about the bottom line. And it's yeah. infuriating. Now, yeah. I say they. 90% of people care. Right. Right. And all the good guys in the industry. And we've all kind of been drinking this Kool-Aid. Yeah. And not standing up and being like, okay, we can do better. Yeah. And again, I think and it's I'm glad that I had you on to for you to be able to describe a lot of that, because I think a lot of these conversations are somewhat had. But for you to, you know, explain it from your point of view, I think there's so much room for growth and betterment of the industry. And so that leads me into my next question. And this is probably something you've had asked many times, but you're obviously not the only one running. Yep. For those who out there who have a fair idea of everyone running, why Sarah the Unicorn? I think it's personal preference. Look, literally... And this is really sad, but Sarge died a couple days ago, right? One of our other candidates. That is super sad. And I've been saying anybody but Wayne, because all three of us have oil and gas experience, right? Tom Slocum's a personal friend. We tried to start a nonprofit a couple of years ago to plug orphaned wells. I didn't understand why operators weren't giving us money. Now I know it's because they didn't want to give money to a nonprofit that was plugging orphaned wells because by doing so, they're acknowledging that there's a problem with orphan wells. If you don't give money to a nonprofit, there's no problem. Uh. Right? And so you like Tom, vote for Tom. Dwayne Tipton, he started out as a roughneck, worked his way up. He now works for insurance companies, right? I think he was inspired to run because of the winter storm and... You know how much money London and Lloyd's of London paid out in first-party property claims after the freeze? I don't, but I can imagine it's billions. And I think you've got T trillions of dollars (laughs) at stake over the next 10 years in Texas oil and gas from an insurance perspective, from a risk allocation perspective. So any three of us, I think are qualified. Why vote for me? Because I don't want to be a politician. I have no further aspirations. I'm not taking any campaign contributions. I have open access to anyone who wants to talk to me. I will give almost anyone 15 minutes of my time. Yeah. 
And I want to hear, I want to learn, I want to do the best we can for the industry. And my plea to everyone is just follow the money and ask people, what are their motivations? You know, and I'm going to take a pay cut. I'm going to have to live in Austin, you know, like that's not exactly what I want to do, but I feel compelled like in my gut that we've got to do something. If I don't make it this time, I'm taking out Christy Craddock in two years. Like I'm not going away. <laughs> right. So okay, you're here to stay. I'm, I don't know. After we get Christy gone, <laughs> I'm probably moving on to other things. But yeah, I mean, I love this industry and I really do. I think we're at a crossroads. And if we don't do something drastic to like acknowledge that we've got issues and again, that mafia, like keep it in the family. Yeah. We're under attack from the feds. We are under attack from the left. We are under attack. And if we continue to be disingenuous and say, everything's fine, we're great. We don't do anything wrong. Yeah. Like, okay, guys, they're going to shut us down. It's Yeah. No, it's going to be a huge hurdle that we haven't experienced before. Chrissy Craddock. So I don't know if you follow like sort of like what's going on in, you know, the UFC world and all these like celebrity fights, like Jake Paul fighting yeah. you know, random, like, you know, just <laughs> basketball players and stuff. So if somehow, and I feel like Colin could organize this at Digital Wildcatters, but <laughs> would you go in the ring with Chrissy Craddock? Okay. I hate physical altercation. But I feel like you're a scrappy one. I would do like a CrossFit wad against her. Okay. So who's the fittest? <laughs> I do who's against the Christy fittest. Cat. <laughs> but no, like as far as like actually, <laughs> I've never been in a physical fight. I think the most physical me. thing. I know. I win with my words and my logic. I, I don't like need my yeah. body. But no, it's right. funny. Like after I got attacked on the well site, you know, I went out that night to dinner and the guy's wife showed up and put a brick through my windshield. And she wanted me to fight her, right? Like she was trying to get, she's like, hit me. I was like, I don't want to hit you. Like my nose is already jacked up enough. (laughs) I can't go. Like I don't need more bumps on this thing. So now truth, I I have no. But let's say you said you haven't taken any any contributions. But what if like there was like some side bets and like whoever won, if you won, then like you got the contributions. Like I think that'd be pretty cool. Like that's the way the age we're in now. Yeah. I think she might be able to take me in a physical fight. Okay. She definitely can't take me in a debate of the issues. I was going to ask you then, like, would you have a, like a friendly debate? Wayne Christian was supposed to come out to Midland. We've got on the 17th or the 18th, I can't remember which one, Permian Basin Association of Pipeliners. And I think some of the directional guys are having a forum. Mm. And we scheduled it on that day because all of the candidates, all the Republican candidates, including Wayne Christian, indicated that they were available. It's mm. after the early voting starts, but we were like, okay, fine. And then a few days ago, Wayne suddenly has now a conflict of interest and can't show because Uh these incumbents, right? Like if you look, that's what they do. These incumbents, they get in. All they can do is hurt themselves when they open their mouths because they're so full of crap. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's too bad because it would be fun to watch, right? And I'm sure you'd like, it'd be very easy to watch because you'd have it on like multiple social media streams and everything else. But either way, that helps to know that we won't be watching you get in the ring with Christy Craddock, but a friendly debate I think would be much needed. Maybe arm wrestling. Oh yeah. I don't think I've seen her. So like, just like pound for pound, I don't even know who has the upper hand. Probably equivalent. Okay. So it'd make for a good fun fight. Yeah. That'd be great. Okay. So another question I had was, was, you know, because you're the unicorn, right? Like you've branded yourself the unicorn and you've got these like super cool stickers and they're definitely like not your typical oil and gas branding, which I can appreciate because I'm usually like someone who does something opposite from, you know, the herd. But 
where did the unicorn come from? Like, how did that evolve? Because it's like the, your thing now. Like, you are the unicorn. Right. People are like, oh, do you like sleeping with married couples? Like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait, what? How does that tie into the unicorn? That's another term that's used. Trust oh, me. is it? Go to Urban Dictionary. But no. Um, wow, I've learned so much today. <laughs> <laughs> this has been a great educational experience for me. Do you remember? It's been probably almost 10 years now. It's called The Hot Crazy Matrix on YouTube. And it's a guy oh. and he does a chart. We'll play it after the podcast. Okay, yeah. Google Hot Crazy Matrix. Okay. And essentially he comes and he's like, you know, you got a, an X and Y axis. And on one is the zero to 10 hot. And on the other is zero to 10 crazy. Oh, yes. Okay. Yes, 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 right? yes, yes. And I, it's like now if, I remember. If she's like a two crazy... And a nine, eight hot. Yeah. It's either a dude. Right. Or it's a unicorn. And if it's a unicorn, capture her and bring her in. Yes. Oh, that's so, okay. Yes, <laughs> I totally remember now. So there might have been intoxicating substances involved one Friday, Saturday night. Yeah. We're like talking and I was like, you know, I'm a unicorn. <laughs> I want to be a unicorn. And actually, I I looked at Jeremy and I was like, what's it like being married to a unicorn? And he's like, I don't know. I'll let you know with my third wife. (laughs) (laughs) That is so funny. (laughs) But yeah. And so I, you know, I thought, you know, a Derek kind of looks like a horn. horn. Yeah. And so I hired a graphic designer off of Fiverr and was like, hey, here's some unicorn images. Can you make a Derek, whatever? And $25 later, there's my boom my logo that I've been using for years. And I love it, yeah. No, it's just, and really what it represents is, right, thinking outside of the box. Yeah. And I hate when people are like, that's not possible. Oh. I'm like, well, shit, anything's possible. Famous then, last uh, words in the oil field, right? right? We've like, always then, done it this way. Yeah. yeah, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not industry standard. You're right. It's not. And the industry standard's fucked. So yeah. let's not do it that way. <laughs> I love it. Well, that's a great way to close out. Sarah, what's... Okay, so you've got... Well, I'll let you mention it and then I'll put the links in the show notes. But yeah. where can people find you? Yeah, so the easiest thing to find me is my link tree. If you go to link tree, I'm unicorn lawyer. Okay. My campaign website is Sarah, S-A-R-A-H, the number four, mm-hmm. R-R-C dot yep. com. Yep. So people can go there. They can see media. Like they can see some of the, uh, once you've got this one live, I've got links to the podcast episodes I've been on and some of the news coverage from the ranch and stuff like that. Perfect. And then LinkedIn, Sarah Stogner. TikTok, I'm the unicorn lawyer. Okay. Twitter, Sarah for RRC or Sarah E Unicorn is my personal. Yeah, I'm cool. I'm easy to find and get a hold of. I'll get all the links and put them in the show notes. That way, if people aren't following you, then they can just scroll and click. One last question before we close. What's something very unique about yourself? I mean, you're pretty open, but is there anything very unique about yourself or a hobby or something you enjoy that nobody knows about or very little people do? So I have a weird hidden talent. Oh, cool. I love this. <laughs> this is usually reserved for drinking games. Can I guess? Sure. Okay. So what is it like a physical talent or like a musical talent? No, not really. It's more of a brainiac talent. You have photographic memory. No, but kind of close. Actually. (sighs) Okay. What is it? Actually, I have horrible memory of like specifics. So if when people tell me their name and when I, true confession, people meet me and they're like, hi, I'm whatever. 90% of the time, as soon as they tell me it's gone, I'm too busy, like trying to like, remember their faces and who they are. I remember that. Okay. Yeah. So talking about like classes and grades and all this into first grade. Yeah. I still was not really reading at the end of first grade. And, and you still can't read. (laughs) 
<laughs> I still can't read. Okay. No, I vividly remember my mom. And I remember, I was like, this is the most stupid language. Like, the rules don't make sense. Read and read are spelled the exact same way. Yeah. They're pronounced differently. They kind of mean the same thing, but in different... Co- like, who came up with this stupid shit? And <laughs> I don't need to learn to read. If I want to know what something says, I ask my mom and she, she helps knows. me. Yeah. Parents know everything. Right? Yeah. And so in my little six-year-old brain, that made sense. And so then about three weeks left of first grade, my mom was like, Sarah, I know that it's, you know, not the most logical thing, but if you don't learn to read, they're going to fail you and you're going to have to read <laughs> Life's gonna be first tough. grade. Yeah. And I was like, oh, well, that sucks. And so then I learned to read. But instead, what I did as a kid is I would see letters or words and I would alphabetize the letters instantly. So like if you give me a word and I can still, I haven't done this in months, give me a word and I alphabetize the letters in it. Okay. Right. So, so just okay. Kid, let's let's do it. Let's try. Let's yeah, try okay, one. Okay. Me. I'm gonna. So like, I, other obviously, than supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. That's the okay. one. So let's start easy. And I don't repeat letters. So if there's like multiple letters, like canon, A C N O. Okay. Like do, there's lots of. Ins. Do my name, Justin. I J N S T U. Whoa. Okay. I was gonna say Mississippi, but I can't pronounce. Uh, I M P S. That one's easy. Right. Oh. Okay. Right. Because there's multiple. Let's do fantastic. A C F I N S T. A-C-F-I-N-S-T. Yeah. Unicorn. C-I-N-O-R-U. Podcast. Oh, that one's hard because it's a compound word, but A-C-D-O-P-S-T. That's so cool. That's the best way to close. For everyone out there, (laughs) thanks for the support. And always remember, when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. (laughs) Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.